ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so like we said last time one of the things that we'll do is go into some extra details regarding the issue of the janais about the janaza prayer and some of the details of the janaza prayer we'll go into some extra details on top of what was mentioned in al-murakhas al-fiqhi so these extra details one of the books where they can be found is the explanation of Bulugh al-Maram and that explanation has been done by many scholars one of those explanations is the explanation of Sheikh al-Fawzan in this first hadith which is about the Janais it is the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu qal قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أكثروا ذكر هاذم اللذات الموت The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said Remember the destroyer of desires often What is the destroyer of desires? all of the things that you want to get something comes and destroys that what destroys death so when the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said think about the thing which destroys your desires and that is remembering death and so here a Sheikh Al-Fawzan he mentions أَكْثِرُوا هَذَا أَمْرٌ بِالْإِكْثَارِ وَالْأَصَلْ فِيهِ الْوُجُوبِ مَا لَمْ تُوجَدْ قَرِينَ تُصْرِفُهُ عَنْ ذَلِكَ the origin is the default is that you should all of us remember death all the time or often we should remember death often because هَذِمُ الَّذَّاتِ يَعَنِي قَاطِعُهَا Death is something that cuts off your desires لِأَنَّ ذِكْرَ الْمَوْتِ يَقْطَعُ لَذَائِذِ الدُّنْيَا أو لَذَائِذَ الدُّنْيَا وَيَزْهَدِ الرَّجُلْ فِيهَا Because when a person thinks about death then you won't be bothered about all of the bliss of this world and you won't be bothered about all of the glitter of this world and the desires of this world when you think about death and you think about accountability that will happen for you then that decreases and cuts your desires for this world الحديث 
دليل على أنه ينبغي للمؤمن أن يكثر من ذكر الموت ولا يغفل عنه Therefore a person should always remember death often and should never become negligent of it You should never become negligent of death لأن الموت حق because death is certainly something of truth in reality it will occur ولا بد منه and there is no escape from it there is no escape from death فينبغي أن يكون على بال المؤمن دائما that's why it should always be on your thoughts death it should be on your thoughts حتى يستعد له so that you prepare for it if you constantly remember death you remember death a lot that you will die and you will be in your grave and then you will be resurrected and the accountability will occur if you think about those things often then that means it will help you to Remember that death and therefore prepare for it to prepare for the hereafter. لأن تذكره يزهد يزهد في الدنيا ويرغب في الآخرة أو يزهد في الدنيا ورغب في الآخرة فيستكثر القليل ويستقل الكثير ويتخفف من تعلقه بالدنيا وشهواتها والإسراف في طلبها. A person who remembers death then you will not be bothered about the world too much anymore. And instead you will be bothered about death and the hereafter. You will not be bothered about this world. You will be focused on the hereafter. So even if you only get a little bit in this world, you will think that is plenty. And even if you have a lot, you will not think it to be a lot. And so your attachment to the world becomes weak. You don't care about getting everything in this life. You don't care about the money and everything. Because you know this life will soon end. And the hereafter will be the key. بخلاف ما إذا غفل عن ذكر الموت فإنه تشتد نهمته في طلب الدنيا ويرغب في جمعها وإنفاق الوقت والجهد في طلبها But if a person who doesn't think about death he doesn't remember that doesn't think about the resurrection doesn't think about the accountability then that type of person will constantly be thinking about this world only and chasing after the bliss of this world and trying to get the money and the other things in this world that's all he's going to care about وَذِكْرُ الْمَوْتِ يَحُثُّ الْعَبْدِ عَلَى الطَّاعَةِ وَاجْتِنَابِ الْمَعْصِيَةِ خَشْيَةً أَنْ يَفْجَأَهُ الْأَجْلِ So a person who thinks about death that will encourage him to do more good deeds it will encourage him to do more good deeds and to stay away from sin, fearing. What is he in fear of? 
that any moment, any moment, what might happen? He might die, so he needs to make sure that he's always doing his, his sunnah, his worship. قَالَ ثَابِتَ الْبِنَّانِ طُوبَى لِمَنْ ذَكَرَ سَاعَةَ الْمَوْتِ وَمَا أَكْثَرَ وَمَا أَكْثَرَ عَبْدٌ وَمَا أَكْثَرَ عَبْدٌ ذَكَرَ الْمَوْتِ إِلَّا رُؤْيَ ذَلِكَ فِي عَمَلِهِ That glad tidings or paradise for the one who remembers death. And then he said, whoever remembers death a lot, then you will see that in his actions. You will see in his actions that he is a person who is remembering death a lot because you will see him worshipping a lot you will see him doing his obedience a lot so you will know this is a type of person who remembers death in the second hadith Anas radiyallahu anhu said Qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam La yatamanna yanna ahadukumul mawt Lidurrin yanzilu bih Fa'in kana la budda mutamanniyan Falyakul Allahumma ahyini ma kanatil hayatu khayran bi وَتَوَفَّنِي إِذَا كَانَتِ الْوَفَاتُ خَيْرًا لِي مُتَّفَكٌ In this hadith, the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, None of you should wish for death because of some difficulty that has happened to you. None of you should wish for death just because of some difficulty that has happened. If you have to wish for it, then you should say, Oh Allah, let me live as long as life is better for me. And let me die if death is better for me. So none of you should wish for death. But... If you have to say something, then you can say, Oh Allah, let me live, carry on living as long as life is better for me. And allow me to die if death is better for me. So this hadith, it indicates that a Muslim is prohibited not allowed to wish for death just because of some difficulty in life. You hear about all of the people committing suicide. What does that mean? When they kill themselves. Why do they kill themselves? Because of something sad happened to them. Something sad happened to them. Some difficulty happened to them, so they kill themselves. Is it halal to do that? Yes? You can kill yourself? Haram. Haram to kill yourself. 
haram to do that. This hadith says, do not even wish for death, let alone kill yourself. Do not even wish for death because of difficulties. من بسبب ضر ينزل به من فقر أو فاقة أو دين أو مرض أو جراحات وغير ذلك. So for example poverty. Some people they may be in severe poverty. And that severe poverty it makes them sad. And it makes them so sad because they are so poor that they wish to die. Allowed? Not allowed. Or for example, a debt. You have a debt. Ali borrowed some money from me. He borrowed 10 pounds from me. And he was supposed to give it back today. But he didn't bring it. So now what's he going to be thinking? He's going to be scared. And he's going to think, now I'm going to get beaten up because I didn't pay the money back. And he's scared of what's going to happen to him and he's really sad and he's really worried. So what do some people do if that happens? They wish for death. And is it allowed? No. So if a person is in debt, he might think that this is really bad and I got too much money to pay off, I can't do it. He's really sad, he wishes for death. Not allowed. Oh, marad, some illness. Sometimes you might get very ill. You get very sick. And it hurts. And you're in pain. So you might wish for death. Is it allowed? Not allowed. Oh, jarahat. Wounds and injuries and you've been hurt. And you're in pain. But it's not allowed to wish for death. So that is the first thing this hadith tells us. It is not allowed for a Muslim to wish for death just because something bad has happened to him, something sad has happened to him. That is not allowed for you to wish for death just because of that. Hmm. If you're in a fire and you died and you couldn't save yourself, no problem. You couldn't do anything. But here it's about somebody wishing to die. But even if in a difficult situation there's a fire, you try to save yourself. You try to save yourself. Secondly, what do we also learn therefore? If it's not allowed to wish for death in times of difficulty, then what are you supposed to do then? You're supposed to remain... Calm and firm and patient. And keep your trust in Allah. So, A person who wishes for death, that means they have not got any more calmness or patience. And it's like they've lost their trust in Allah. Just saying, kill me, that's it, I can't do anything. So a person is supposed to keep their trust in Allah and is supposed to not become depressed. And you're supposed to keep your trust in Allah, keep your dependence in Allah and be happy with the decree. Whatever has been decreed for you, whatever has been decreed for you, you are happy with that decree. 
if it is something difficult, then you ask Allah to make it easy and to take you out of that difficulty. Because Allah said in the Quran, فَإِنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرًا With difficulty comes ease. With difficulty comes ease. So you keep your trust in Allah, you carry on making dua, and insha'Allah ta'ala, Allah answers your dua, and that difficulty is removed. But when you make dua, how are you supposed to make dua? Sincere intention, of course. But another key thing, in the sujood you can do it, but what else? You're supposed to long, so you can do long dua, that's okay. But one thing, important one, the important one is you have to make dua uh, with firmness, meaning you're confident. You're confident Allah will answer your dua. Certainty, yeah. You have to be certain and confident that Allah will answer your dua. Some people make dua and they're not really confident and certain that it's going to happen. They think there's no chance. But let me just make dua. They make dua and they haven't really got the conviction when you're confident and certain that Allah will answer your dua. Some people don't have it. So when they make dua like that, it's weak. When you make dua, you should make dua knowing that Allah will accept and answer your dua. In the hadith it mentions, whoever makes dua, فَلْيَعْزِمِ الْأَمْرِ Then you do it with certainty. You know some of the scholars even say, when you make dua, don't say, inshaAllah. In dua, don't say inshaAllah. Don't say, oh Allah, please, if you can give me that new house, I want to try to buy it, inshaAllah. In dua, you're supposed to ask with firm, certain, oh Allah, allow me to have this, oh Allah, I ask you for this, with certainty. Don't say inshaAllah, because if you say inshaAllah, or if you want, or maybe, then that means it's like you think Allah will not answer your dua. You think it's not going to happen, what's the chances? And you shouldn't think that way. You make the firm dua, and Allah answers. Recently we were talking a few weeks ago about Ashura. When Musa salam he got to the Red Sea, what did all of the people say to Musa salam when they couldn't cross? And behind them Pharaoh was coming. They said to Musa, They said, that's it. We've been caught. That's it. Behind us, Pharaoh's there. In front of us, the sea. We can't go anywhere. We've been caught. That's it. But then what did Musa salam say to them? Be firm. Put your trust in Allah. Allah is with us. He was absolutely confident in Allah. Putting trust in Allah. Certain that Allah will aid them. And Allah aided them. Same with other examples of the prophets. Ibrahim salam, When they threw him in the fire. He broke their idols and he was telling them to worship Allah alone. And they got angry and they made a huge fire. You know how big fire they made. How big it was. 
when he smashed their idols and then in the end they couldn't say anything to him, they knew he was right, they were wrong for worshipping the idols, they got angry, they said burn Ibrahim. So they made a huge fire, do you know how big they made the fire? Hmm? Uh -huh. So the fire was so big and so hot, how did they have to go and throw Ibrahim in? A cannon, a catapult. Because if you went next to it, it was too hot, you couldn't get next to it. They couldn't get next to it and throw Ibrahim in. Because if they were next to it, it burns them. Too hot, it was so big. But still, even in that fire, catapulting Ibrahim in. Ibrahim kept his absolute trust in Allah. And what did Allah make the fire? Made it cold and it didn't do anything to Ibrahim. Other prophets and messengers, you see the same types of examples. You see the same types of trust and absolute dependence in Allah. And that is how a person should be. So you never lose the hope and you never become weak in making dua. Hmm. Yes, you can say that. That is one of the reasons those types of examples show us why these were the ulul azm, the strong prophets of the firm handhold. Then, we also learn from this hadith that there is no benefit in asking for death. There is no benefit in asking for death. Actually, it's harmful asking for death. Because when you die, that means your possibility and your opportunity to worship Allah and do good deeds is finished. The longer you live, the more chance to carry on doing good deeds and to seek forgiveness. But as soon as you die, the chance to do good deeds and to seek forgiveness, all of it is gone. That's it. So there is no real benefit like that in asking for death. Rather, you should ask Allah for a righteous long life. A righteous long life. Also from this hadith, many of the scholars have said, that the meaning of it is, you should not ask for death because of worldly harms. That is the meaning, as we've said before, poverty and health and those types of affairs. There is another hadith, there is another hadith, it mentions in it, hadith of Abu Huraira, that the Prophet ﷺ said, لا تقوم الساعة حتى يمر الرجل بقبر الرجل فيقول يا ليتني مكانه That there will come a time There will come a time When a man Or rather that the hour will not be established until A man will walk past the grave of another man And he will say If only I was in his place what is the meaning of that narration? Isn't that wishing for death? So what does it mean here? 
So this narration is talking about the fitan. There will be so much fitan, so many trials and tribulations that a man sees another's grave and says, if only I was in his place. To avoid and to get out of all of these trials and tribulations in your religion, for your religion, your life, your world, your hereafter. And that's why in the narration it mentioned, if anybody is going to say something, then say, let me live, O Allah, as long as life is better for me. And allow me to die if death is better. Meaning if it's going to be corruption and it's going to be worse, then death is better. So you make it in that, or that is the statement that is mentioned, but you don't just wish for death. That is that narration. Third hadith today. An Buraydah, radiyallahu anhu anil nabiyyi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, qal, al-mu'minu yamutu bi'araq al-jabeen. That a believer dies with sweat upon his forehead. Meaning that, it, that the time of death is hard and difficult. The time of death is hard and difficult. The hadith indicates, therefore, that a believer dies with that difficulty, with that heat, with that hardship. The scholars have said that this could mean that the actual time of death, the actual time of death brings hardship. And that hardship, that difficulty which comes to you at the actual time of death, what's, what does it do for you? Sweat and it wipes away your sins. So dying with difficulty at that time of death, it is one of the ways that some of your sins get wiped away. Even when the Prophet ﷺ was dying, ورد في حديث عائشة رضي الله عنها قالت لما نزل برسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم طفق يطرح خميصه له على وجهه فإذا تم بها كشفها. It's mentioned. When the Prophet ﷺ was in his final illness before death, that he had a cloth and he was placing it upon his face and removing it from his face and placing it upon his face and removing it. And he mentioned, in those moments, indeed, death has its... Ah, yeah. The, the, they call it a pang. You have a word in English, I think. Agonies, pangs they use as well, meaning hardship. That death indeed has its agonies, has its difficulties. And so some of the scholars said this is in order to reduce that person's sins, that your sins are removed as a consequence of that even though otherwise we know that the soul of a believer exits easily or hard. Easily. In one hadith it mentions just like how water comes out of a bottle or a cup. When you pour it, how easy does it come out? 
very easy. But the disbeliever, what's the example given of how his soul is taken out? How, what's the example given? So imagine you have wool, a pile of wool, and you make it wet. You get a hook, stick it right into the middle. Do you think you can get that hook out carefully without ripping any of the wool? Impossible. When you try to get it out, no matter how hard you try, it's going to rip that wool everywhere. That is the example given of how the soul of a disbeliever exits from his body. Ripping his veins and arteries and everything as it comes out. Because it knows it does not want to leave. Knows it does not want to come out. Then we move on to the next narration. And that is about the talqeen. When you remind a person who is dying to say the shahada. Hadith of Abu Sa'id وأبي هريرة رضي الله عنه قال عنهما قال أو قالا قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لقنوا موتاكم لا إله إلا الله that remind those who are on the verge of death about the shahada in this hadith it seems to indicate that it is a command. لَقِّنُوا مَوْتَاكُمْ فِي الْعَمَرِ And the asal is wujub. That you must remind the people on their deathbeds of the shahada. However, حمل الجمهور من أهل العلم الأمر في هذا الحديث على الاستحباب. The majority of the scholars say it is not an obligation, it is something of recommendation. That that is what you should do at the time of death of someone. Remind them of the shahada. Remind them of la ilaha illallah. And as we mentioned before, this doesn't mean that you actually say to them, say la ilaha illallah. It doesn't necessitate that. doesn't mean you say, say la ilaha illallah. As Sheikh Al-Fawzan mentioned, and others have said, it doesn't mean it has to be like that. All it means is, at the time of death, you're next to that person, and you are sitting there and you say, La ilaha illallah. You say it to yourself. The person hears you and remembers the shahada, remembers death, and so he will start to say, La ilaha illallah. Some of the scholars say, remind them. That's what laqqinu means, ذكروهم. Remind them of shahada. Doesn't mean actually parrot fashion say it to them. Not necessarily. Laqinu meaning remind them of death. Remind them of the shahada and to die upon that shahada. And that is something which only is to happen at the time of when the person is on the deathbed. In the final moments, not just when he's ill, or maybe he's going to live another month yet, but he's on his final breaths. You can see that it's coming to the end, 
in those final moments, then you remind them of that. What is the wisdom behind that? But what is the wisdom? Why would you remind this person about the Shahada before he dies? Why would you remind him about the Shahada though? You're right, so he might die without saying the Shahada. So this Muslim, you should remind him that he should die upon Kalimatul Tawheed. He should die upon that statement of Tawheed. He should die upon saying La ilaha illallah. What's an example of this? We mentioned these examples before. One was about the Jewish boy, the Prophet ﷺ went and visited him and he died upon Islam. Another example was when the Prophet ﷺ visited his uncle Abu Talib, but he did not accept. Now, something we didn't mention before, but it is something common. Reciting Surah Yasin upon the dead. Or upon the one who's about to die in his final moments. Is that sunnah or not? So, there is a hadith. عن معقل ابن يسار رضي الله عنه أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال اقرأوا على موتاكم ياسين رواه أبو داود والنسائي وصححه ابن حبان There is a hadith, it says, read upon your dead, meaning those on the verge of death, read upon them, Yasin. This is obviously the hadith that people used to say that you should read Yasin. But is it authentic or not? This hadith is not authentic. It is not a Sahih Hadith. Two main reasons. For two reasons. One is what's known as ittirab, meaning there is some confusion in the chains of narration. There's detail to it all, but there are some confusions with the chain of narration. It doesn't match up. That's one problem. And when it doesn't match up, and it's all confused and mixed up, then you can't. Take that hadith as authentic. So there is some mix-up and confusion, something not quite right with the chains of narration. Secondly, there is a person in the chain of narration, Abu Uthman. He is majhul. A person who is unknown. Nobody knows who he is. So if somebody comes and tells you there's an accident outside on the motorway now, you say, who told you? I said, just some guy. Who's the guy who told me? Is he a liar or is he trustworthy and honest? The guy who told me, is he an honest person or is he a liar? You don't know. Why do you not know? Because you don't know who, who the guy is? If we knew who it was, then you could work it out. If we knew that it was a particular person, we knew it was Sheikh Faisal. I said, he told me there's an accident. So now everybody can work out if 
Sheikh Faisal is trustworthy or not? Is he trustworthy? Are you sure? <laughs> some people give him authenticity, fiqa, some of them da'if. So, the problem in this chain of narration is, there is a person who we don't know who he is. Every time you get a hadith, and there's somebody in the narration who you don't know who he is, then how do you know if he's telling the truth, that person or not? That's why it's a weak hadith. So that hadith about reading Yasin is not a sahih hadith. And that's the problem. People get these narrations, they see it's a hadith, and that's it, let's do it. Without even thinking about, is this hadith authentic or not? Is this hadith actually true or not? So you need to establish that and know those things before you can start practicing these affairs. So this is not an authentic narration and therefore the scholars have mentioned that it is not correct to do that. Some of the people of knowledge may have mentioned it is okay based upon them understanding or thinking that the narration is authentic and that could happen. But the scholars have highlighted the narration is not authentic. So the recitation of Yasin is not something prescribed. Then, when a person actually dies, he passes away now. What are you supposed to do straight away, first thing? Forgot. Close his eyes. Do we do that one? Maybe we mentioned it briefly. Look at this hadith now. عن أم سلمة رضي الله عنها قالت دخل رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم على أبي سلمة رضي الله عنه وقد شق بصره. أبو سلمة one of the companions رضي الله عنه died. He died just at the moment the Prophet ﷺ had entered and was there. And when he died, he died with his eyes open. He died and his eyes were still open. Some people, they die and the eyes might still be left open. So the Prophet ﷺ closed his eyes. And then he said, When the soul is taken, the eyesight follows the soul going out. When the soul is taken, the eyesight follows the soul going out. So you may die then, and the eyesight remains open. Because it mentions when your soul is being taken out, at that last minute you're dying now dead, your eyesight follows the soul going out. And it may lay, remain open. So the Prophet ﷺ, in this example, in this hadith, he closed the eyes of Abu Salama and then he said to them, when the soul is taken out, the eyesight follows it. So the people of Abu Salama, the family of Abu Salama became upset that he died now. Don't 
But then the Prophet ﷺ calmed them down. Of course, when somebody dies, you're going to be upset. But the Prophet ﷺ calmed them down and said to them, Don't make dua upon yourself. Except with goodness. Only make dua of goodness for yourself. Because indeed the angels will say Ameen upon the dua you make. Because at the time of death, when somebody dies, people will become very sad and emotional. And that's why it's mentioned in one of the hadith, one of the major sins that a person can do is what? Screaming and shouting when somebody dies. And niyaha. Screaming and shouting when somebody dies. In one narration it says, لَيْسَ مِنَّا Not from amongst us, not from us, is the person who, when somebody dies, he starts beating himself up, starts tearing his clothes, why me and why? And starts saying all types of bad things in Jahiliya they used to say. Why did he have to die and why did this happen and why this and why that? Screaming and shouting and hitting themselves and jumping around and all emotional. Haram, it is a major sin. Major sin to do that. So here the Prophet calmed them and said, don't make dua of bad. The angels will say, Ameen upon your dua. So make dua of good for yourself. Then he made the dua. Allahumma ghfir li Abi Salama. وَرَفَعْ دَرَجَتَهُ فِي الْمَهْدِيِّينَ وَفْسَحْ لَهُ فِي قَبْرِهِ وَنَوِّرْ لَهُ فِيهِ وَخْلُفْهُ فِي عَقِبِهِ رواه مسلم The Prophet said, Oh Allah, forgive Abu Salama. Forgive Abu Salama. And raise his rank from amongst the guided ones. And make his grave big and spacious and make it light in his grave for him and leave behind for him righteous offspring what does it mean about make his grave big for him what happens in the graveyard in the grave when you're buried what happens in your grave So some people, their graves will be squashed and their ribs will break. And a door will be opened up in their grave to hellfire. And all of the heat and the bad smells of hellfire will come into their grave. The good people though, their grave will be made big and spacious. How big and spacious? Extremely big and spacious. It's mentioned in the hadith as far as your eyesight can see. How far can you see? One meter? 
Your glasses are too strong. Huh? 40 meters. You can see a long, long way. You can see miles and miles and miles when you look with your eyes. So in the grave, it will be made so big like you think it's such a big space. And the door will be opened into Jannah. And the beautiful smells of paradise will come. And you will see the beauties in your place. And so that person will say, Oh Allah, make the day of judgment happen now. Ya Rabbi, aqim He wants to go into paradise. The other one though, who was squashed, he will say, Ya Rabbi, la tuqim Do not make the hour occur. Do not make the hour, the day of judgment happen because he knows when the day of judgment happens, he's going to end up Fire. So that is what uh, the dua that the Prophet ﷺ made for Abu Salama at the time of his death. So when somebody dies, this hadith shows us that you should make good dua for that person. You should ask Allah to forgive him. You should ask Allah to have mercy on him. And that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enters him into paradise. The next narration is Tihbab That when the Prophet died, he was covered up with this type of cloth which was known to be from Yemen, a cloth known to be from Yemen, he was wrapped up in that. And this is prior to anything occurring. That al-hadith dalilun ala istihbab taghtiyat jasad al-mayyit kulli wa adam tarki wajhihi wa atrafihi makshufa. صيانة للميت عن الانكشاف والطلاع على صورته المتغيرة ووفاته وهذا يكون قبل تغسيله وتكفينه So when a person dies now you have the body You're going to take that body to do the washing and everything Right now what should the body be like? It should be wrapped up Before you take it for the washing and the shrouding Before that time now, how should the body be kept? Wrapped up with cloth. The face, the hands, the feet, everything wrapped up. It shouldn't be left exposed, hands exposed and face exposed and the body just there exposed with normal clothes on. On top of that, covered up and covered up and concealed. So the body should be covered up just with some cloth or something until you get to the washing, take everything and then do the washing and then do the proper shrouding. But initially, from the moment of death up until you get to the washing, cover the body. That's what it mentions here. Uh, that, uh, that the body should be covered. And the only exception to that is what? Shaheed and also... The Shaheed actually, it's not really an exception for this. Because this part isn't the shrouding. 
So you could put cloth over the head of the shaheed as well, etc., up until you go do, well, there's not going to be no washing anyway, but you're going to do the, 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 the burial. But something else, the one that you wouldn't do this to. Which type of person? Somebody you can do it to, but you don't. Well, you don't get the body. Missing an easy one. Which body, which body, which person? Easy one, very easy one. Everybody just came back now from where? So? Muhrim. The muhrim, somebody who is in a state of ihram, you can't cover the head, nothing. So you wouldn't be able to do this covering of them. They would have to be left exposed from their head, etc. At least the rest of the body you could put something on, but they wouldn't be able to be covered from the head and the, uh, and the, the covering on top. So that is the exception given there. So this hadith shows us that when a person dies, up until you get to the stage of washing, the body should be kept covered and wrapped, put some cloth around it, it shouldn't be left exposed. Here the Sheikh mentions because leaving it exposed after death, the changes in the physical body, the, the appearances, they may not be pleasing, it may not occur as respectful. So you keep the body covered after death until you get to the procedures that you're going to do. Last one we'll do today is, somebody dies, they've died now. Is it permissible, imagine like it was one of your close family or something, is it permissible to kiss that person like on the head or something after they've died? No? Yes? There is a hadith. عن عائشة رضي الله عنها أن أبا بكر أبا بكر الصديق رضي الله عنه قبل النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم بعد موته رواه البخاري. When the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم died, Abu Bakr al-Siddiq رضي الله عنه actually did kiss him on the head. This hadith is a proof that the deceased one, if he's from amongst your beloved and uh, somebody that would have that relationship with, then you can kiss that person on the head. Kiss that person even after death. This was something that was done by Abu Bakr as-Siddiq to the Prophet ﷺ, his beloved. So that, uh, that is an action which is permissible also for the one who has passed away. Any questions on those topics so far? We're going to come to others as well yet. We'll do all the details as well yet. Seeing the face, you know when they get the body and they put it in front of the mosque or wherever it is and everybody lines up and comes and sees the face. I, I've never heard any sunnah about that. Even in the mosque. They, yeah, because they do like the janazah prayer. Or yeah, either they do the janazah prayer then they leave it there for a while. Everybody comes and sees the face, then they take it out. Or sometimes they bring it in, everybody sees, then they do the janazah. But that, it's not the sunnah. I don't know any sunnah that says you do that. Because all that is doing is delaying the janazah and the burial. The sunnah is, make it quick. So this thing about seeing the face, I've never heard of any sunnah about doing that. 
never heard any hadith about seeing the face and everybody line up and takes another 20 minutes, half an hour. I don't know any sunnah about that. Yeah, no, we will. We'll come to that. About the how to give the, uh, what do you call it? Commiserations. When somebody dies, you want to go give them uh, commiserations and uh, consolation. You want to go give them that, you know, uh, condolences. That's the one. I was there nearly. Condolences. That's the one. So how do you do the condolences? We'll do that properly. Because there's a, we did it right at the end of Mulakhas al-Fiqi. We'll come to the ahadith about what's allowed all these things when people get a house, they say condolences for the men in this house. Condolences for the women in that house. Is that type of thing allowed? Really not, not really. It's not really sunnah. But we'll come to properly details about it inshallah. Is it allowed to enter your house from the back door? It's, uh, it's not something haram. Particularly some people, the way the houses are, the side doors apparently are like the main doors. Why? No, 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 generally, generally. Generally, generally. Yeah, that's what they're asking. About, the, about not entering from the, from the back and entering from the proper doors. But it's not, uh, I mean, you know, so, uh, like we said, like some other people's houses and the way it is as well. Some people, their front door is, is closed off. The entrance is the side. So it's not major, but if you stick to the norm of the people, you don't come in from, uh, like in, in school, they used to laugh and they used to say, you come in from the back. Why do you go in from the back? The front door is where you come in and go out from. That's it, that's it, that's what they're talking about. The coming come from the actual doors, referring to the front doors. Yeah, but the issue is, does this mean the hukam is that it's haram to come from back door, or makruh, what is the hukam? So I don't think scholars will say it is haram. That too, you look into those issues. But the often, the ruling, the default, the default will be haram. But then there are always explanations like what's the sarif? To take this away from being haram into something makruh. And there are various things like that. So I don't know of any, anybody who would say, any scholars who will say it is haram prohibited to use your back doors. It's not like that. But in typical situations you would use the front and that is the main, the main of, the, of the house and the entrance and the exit. <laughs>